thanks a lot for uh, giving me the opportunity. I'm uh, very happy to uh, be able to speak here. I actually, I, uh, before becoming a coffee researcher, I was actually a home barista, and uh, this is actually also why I ended up in coffee in the first place. And uh, I just had the chance to combine the chemistry with uh, coffee, so I ended up in the group of Sean Yeretzion. Okay, so uh, my talk is going to be on uh, water for coffee extraction. I know it's, uh, I thought about making a bit more a sexier title, like Ending Water or something like this, but uh, I, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to break it down to, uh, so uh, everybody in here will uh, know something after the talk they didn't know before, and uh, also be able to uh, get a basic understanding of what's relevant in coffee. Um, a short disclaimer I want to make is uh, I'm not going to uh, go into the whole units discussion, which was also a topic, at least for the scientists. Uh, everything I'll show here is in equivalent units, so uh, be it uh, degrees Clark, uh, German hardness degrees, PPM, calcium carbonate, they're, they're all equally relevant. I mostly refer to uh, PPM, calcium carbonate, since it's also the units uh, the World of Coffee events uh, uses. So I'll, actually I'd like to start off with uh, some take-home messages, like where I'm actually going to head. Uh, there are a couple of key parameters uh, that are important for the characteristics of water for coffee extraction. First off, it should be odor-free and hygienic. Uh, a lot of us, I guess, are fortunate enough that the tap water already fulfills this. Sometimes uh, there's chlorine in the water that's, that's used for disinfection. This can be uh, a problem for odor. Uh, for odor. Uh, then total hardness should be about 50 to 175 ppm calcium carbonate. I'll go into uh, what it actually is made up of uh, later. And the acid buffer capacity of the water should be around 40 to 75 ppm calcium carbonate. Uh, traditional hardness units uh, provide an easy and accurate way to access the water's ability to, uh, for coffee extraction. And uh, SCAA, uh, the Sky and uh, SCA uh, agree quite uh, to a big amount or a large degree on uh, what an optimum uh, hardness level should be and alkalinity with the book that uh, Maxwell, Colonna, Dashwood and Chris Hendon published. And lastly, all water treatments can be explained uh, <clears throat> by a quite simple chart in my view uh, of total hardness and buffer capacity. So what is actually total hardness? Total hardness is just the sum of calcium and magnesium, uh, and this is an equivalent concentration or molar concentrations. And this means we're not actually counting the weight of uh, those ions, but we're counting actually the molecules. Because in chemistry, it's not about how much something weighs in relation to the, uh, like one reaction partner to the other, but it's always about uh, the actual numbers. Like if I have two calciums or if I have three calcium atoms, that's going to matter, not how much they weigh. Uh, the other partner or the other big um, influence factor for, uh, for water is the alkalinity, which is the acid buffer capacity. And um, it's simply the amount of acid that has to be added to a water sample uh, in order to lower its pH to 4.3. Uh, there's a, quite a simple reason why uh, 4.3 is, is chosen, but it's I'm uh, not going to go into the specifics. Feel free to ask me later. Um, so therefore, the neutralizing buffering effect of adding an acid to water, that's basically what alkalinity is. 
And this also happens when you, happens when you extract coffee, you extract acids, and uh, if you have a large buffer capacity, then uh, this buffer capacity will kind of eat away the amount of acid you, uh, you extracted from your coffee. So next up is uh, a basic picture of uh, what uh, water composition usually looks like. You see that uh, calcium and magnesium are, uh, uh, are like a bigger part than uh, the alkalinity, which is made up primarily of hydrogen carbonate. And this is uh, what pretty much every water looks like. The only waters I saw up till now uh, which don't look like this are where uh, you have an intrusion, like where there is some salt water from the sea uh, going into your um, water, groundwater. There you can have it reversed, but uh, like 90% 90, 90 of the tap waters look like this. And then there's also, besides calcium, magnesium, and the hydrogen carbonate, you also have some other ions like sodium and potassium, on the positive side and on the negative side, chloride, nitrite, nitrate, and sulfate. Uh, and maybe somebody wondered, uh, why are these bars actually equally big? And this is a simple reason. Water has always to fulfill charge neutrality. So the amount of positive ions will always equal the amount of negative ions. And this is something like uh, <clears throat> the double entry bookkeeping system you have in finances. Uh, if you find out in the end that uh, the sum of positive ions won't match your sum of negative ions, then you simply have something missed in your uh, measurement or in your calculation. So this is uh, something quite helpful. Uh, then there's also um, the terms carbonate hardness and non-carbonate hardness, which traditionally uh, carbonate hardness just refers to the maximum amount of scale that can form. And this is ter uh, in turn determined by the common minimum of calcium and magnesium against uh, hydrogen carbonate. And because pretty much all the waters have a higher total hardness than alkalinity, uh, carbonate hardness equals then just the smaller part here. And then you have some non-carbonate hardness, also referred to as uh, permanent hardness. But let's say you take one of the old school softeners that exchange uh, calcium and magnesium against uh, <coughs> sodium. What happens is your water will then look something like this. You increase the portion of uh, sodium, and, uh, sodium or potassium, depending on your, uh, the manufacturer you got your cartridge from, and you decrease calcium magnesium, but the alkalinity, the hydrogen carbonate, <coughs> will actually stay the same. Um, the, the maximum amount of scale you can form is now just the smaller part calcium and magnesium, uh, and you actually have something additional, you have not hard carbonate. Maybe you, uh, <clears throat> you realize by now that uh, the whole concept of carbonate hardness uh, should be differentiated from the alkalinity, which is the buffer capacity. Like for water, which comes out of the tap, it's usually the same, but if you treat it, it doesn't have to be. So uh, we should just, alkalinity or buffer capacity is something relevant to, the, especially to the sensory aspects of, of coffee. And carbonate hardness is something that is relevant to technical aspects. A lot of manufacturers, they have their test kits where you add your droplets and they always call it carbonate hardness. But this is actually only true uh, in the normal case as here, if, car if alkalinity is smaller, then uh, what you measure with this droplet test is actually carbonate hardness. In this case, it will still show you the same value. 
but carbonate hardness is only this one. So they, some manufacturers, they resorted to saying, yeah, okay, there's also a, a good kind of carbonate hardness. But I, uh, I think this is uh, just going in the wrong direction. So we should stick to total hardness and alkalinity. So uh, what do water <coughs> look like if we plot it on a, uh, on a simple graph showing total hardness on the vertical axis and alkalinity on the horizontal axis? This is a chart as we used to uh, the publication from last June. Um, also the same uh, kind of chart that Maxwell and Chris used. Uh, I just have different uh, units here. And what you see is uh, 186 different tap waters from a small region of Switzerland. And um, most of the waters, they group along this diagonal. And what this means is simply that they're made up <coughs> of uh, scale, pure, more or less pure scale. I uh, uh, drawn here the diagonal. And if you would dissolve pure scale in water or limestone, calcium carbonate or magnesium carbonate, you would move here from zero, like pure water, you would move up this direction. So the waters down here differ from the water up here, mainly in the contact time they had with the, with the ground, with the soil, the amount of time they had to pick up carbonates. And then there are also the waters which are located here higher up. And these waters, if you have a total hardness much higher than your alkalinity, this simply um, signifies that you have a significant amount of sulfates. The small offset you have here between the diagonal and all these waters, this is usually just chloride. And if you have a large offset, uh, offset like up here, then it's uh, usually caused by gypsum, uh, which is uh, nothing else than uh, calcium sulfate or magnesium sulfate. So some more examples of um, water compositions. To the left, I have uh, a couple of commercial waters I plotted here. You also see that most of them group along this diagonal. We have one outlier up here, Cristallo Blue, having a sulfate content of uh, about 600 milligram per liters. Uh, nicely aligning up with, um, <clears throat> with what I said, that large offsets are caused by sulfate usually. Then uh, to the right, you have <clears throat> Uh, what is it, about a dozen different uh, water compositions uh, taken from the SEAA water handbook. You also see here, most of them group nicely along this diagonal. Pittsburgh has, again, quite a large uh, sulfate content, which uh, makes it having a total hardness a lot higher than the alkalinity. And we have a couple of strange waters down here. And they all are characterized by <coughs> uh, some salt water intrusion which uh, is just a scientific uh, language for uh, you have some seawater penetrating your groundwater. So uh, Galveston, Sarasota, and Los Angeles, they all have a significant amount of sodium coming in with carbonate and uh, making, uh, like increasing the alkalinity, but sodium doesn't contribute to total hardness because this is only calcium and magnesium. So they move to the right uh, instead of diagonally up. Yeah. So water treatment, um, I mean, this was kind of the first part. I, maybe I should have started with that, uh, but uh, the basic approach I, ha I have here is uh, first you want to clear up where we are, then we want to clear up where we want to go, and the third one is how, we, how do we get there. And so water treatment, there are some technical and also some sensory reasons why we do it in the first place. 
First up, uh, the technical reasons are that too high uh, hardness and alkalinity causes sca uh, scale deposits. This decreases, uh, decreases your efficiency in heating, so your coffee machine will take longer to reach its temperature when you heat it up. And also you can clog uh, small holes, orifices, like uh, gicleurs, uh, especially if they are located, the small holes in the hot water section of your coffee machine. And too low in alkalinity, like if your buffer capacity is too small, uh, can uh, lead to uh, like a strongly varying pH, because it's not buffered anymore, it can, uh, it can vary much easier, and this can cause corrosion of metal parts, which is pretty much uh, you're getting holes in your boiler. And the sensory reasons are for water treatment are uh, a desired degree of buffering, because uh, usually it's not desirable that you taste the full amount of acidity you, you extract, but you want to buffer it a little bit in order to be uh, more pleasant. And also to increase um, uh, the extraction efficiency, for which uh, calcium and magnesium are uh, uh, like the major players. <coughs> okay. Uh, here I want to uh, compare some existing standards recommended, as you can see. Uh, I changed the axis here now that I have, uh, I'm go only going to up to 120, which is still quite soft uh, in alkalinity and up to 240 in total hardness. Uh, first up, you have the SCAA standard, which has been, uh, been around for the longest, uh, being at 40 uh, ppm alkalinity and having quite a large range in total hardness that's allowed or suggested. Then we have, uh, for instance, Scott Rau, which is located down here. We have uh, the publication of two Germans, uh, which suggests quite a high total hardness. Uh, and then we have the, the nice ranges that um, Maxwell and Chris developed, like uh, ideal brew zone, which extends from about uh, 50 total hardness up to 180 total hardness and also allowing for um, a bit of higher acid buffer if you go to higher total hardness. Uh, this graph, in my view, is, uh, is mainly reflecting what, you, uh, what is optimal for filter coffee. For espresso, um, you have to be aware that uh, because you have a much uh, smaller amount of water you, um, you mix with your coffee, uh, the impact, for, for instance, of alkalinity will be much smaller because you have much less water, so uh, even if you have a high alkalinity, you, you, it's pretty much impossible to have such a high alkalinity that all of your acid from the coffee will be, uh, will be swallowed or disappear. So uh, filtered coffee <coughs> is in this sense kind of uh, more sensitive to changes in the acid buffer content. So espresso, uh, I expect that these ranges will also be extended to the right side more for espresso since you can also have more buffer capacity if you extract for espresso without having then a, a, an acid-free espresso or an, an espresso where the acid is totally buffered away. So how do we measure it? Uh, there are simple measurement methods you can uh, determine total hardness and alkalinity with. And um, most uh, water treatment manufacturers also supply this. These are simple drop tests and uh, you take a defined amount of water and start adding to it uh, this, uh, this test solution until you, uh, you see a color change. So for instance, uh, it starts out at red and uh, if you reach your, um, your actual measurement value, it changes to green. This is called the uh, titration. 
Uh, a nice thing about these measurement methods is that uh, a lot of them, they also have different graduation, like the standard is to use it for five milliliters. And uh, in this instance, for, uh, we have like one drop equals one German hardness. But if you then double your water amount, uh, you can uh, increase your, uh, your resolution. Because if you have double the water, then you need two drops for every German degree hardness. Or so the other way around, if you use double the amount of water, <clears throat> you can not just uh, uh, determine the value of total hardness and alkalinity with an accuracy of one degree, but with, with an accuracy of 0 0.5 degrees, half a degree. And uh, yeah, because a lot of these tests are not uh, meant to be very precise, this is a helpful option to get a bit uh, a more precise result. Then uh, very popular is also the conductivity meter, uh, also known as the TDS meter. And for known water composition, uh, electrical conductivity uh, can be transformed into a total amount of dissolved solids. And uh, this can be a helpful value, but the problem with this measurement is that it has quite a large uh, uncertainty. Uh, one, uh, like one source of the error or the uncertainty is that different ions or different compositions of the water will have a different conversion factor from the conductivity to the to milligram per liter, to the total dissolved uh, uh, solids value. And also uh, the second problem is that if you have if you measure at a different temperature, your, uh, your measurement value will also be off. So I've plotted here to the right, I plotted um, uh, the error in the TDS estimate uh, compared to the standard uh, conversion factor that SCAA uses, for instance, they use 0.7 to get from microsiemens per centimeter to milligram per liter. And the first, uh, <clears throat> like the first series of uh, bars are for 25 degrees. And you see, okay, in Boston, for 25 degrees, you just overestimate it by, uh, you underestimate it by 10%. It's quite okay. Then, uh, like for some waters, it's, it's much worse. For Chicago, you make like 30% error. Uh, and actually for the, like the salty water from Galveston, you make the error in the other way. And then if you do it the same, uh, if you do the same calculations for 10 degrees, it looks very different. And this is just to, uh, to show you um, if you use a tedious estimate and you use it like just to compare what was your water yesterday to uh, today from the tap or after your water treatment, this is something that can help you. But it won't help you if you try to compare your water to somebody else's water because maybe they have a co completely different uh, composition which will lead to a, f a totally different conversion factor. So I would strongly disadvise from using TDS values as a kind of a um, standalone quality measure for water because first off it doesn't really tell you what is in there and second it's it's quite inaccurate so uh, we cleared up um, where we are where we want to go uh, some measurement devices and now the, um, the next step is uh, to have a look at the water treatments uh, there's the filtration removal of particles that's sometimes necessary for tap water a special case of it is the activated uh, charcoal filters, which also remove some off flavors like chlorine, and uh, they also have uh, the potential to remove some of the heavy metals if you have some uh, lead or other nasty stuff in your water. And there is reverse osmosis, which is basically a non-selective method of removing all the dissolved solids content of the water, and there's ion exchange. Uh, 
which for instance can uh, exchange magnesium and calcium by protons, uh, sodium or uh, potassium. But I guess this will uh, hopefully make it a bit more clear. I've plotted here the different water treatment methods. First starting with uh, the very classic softener. This is like uh, something that's been around for several decades. Uh, it's also used in quite a lot of household installations, at least in Switzerland. You exchange calcium and magnesium against uh, potassium or sodium, depending if you have BDWT or Brita or, or something third. And what you do is you just um, reduce total hardness, but you don't uh, change your alkalinity at all. So what happens with your water is just that you move down vertically. Then the second type of uh, water treatment that's uh, been around a bit less long, but is also quite popular, is decarbonization. There you exchange calcium and magnesium for protons. So your calcium and magnesium is gone, your total hardness will go down. And what happens in addition is that the proton will take the next best hydrogen carbonate. <clears throat> and if they form together, they just make nothing else than uh, carbonic acid, which in turn uh, becomes uh, dissolved CO2. So in addition to uh, <clears throat> lowering your total hardness, decarbonizers also lower your alkalinity. And uh, at the same time, they kind of make your water also a bit fizzy. This doesn't matter if you have, a, have a, not a too hard a water, but if you start with a very hard water, um, this can become a real, real problem. I'll go into it in the next slide. Then we have... Um, B-star, it's a combination of mostly B-type ion exchanger with a small amount of A. And this is just uh, to uh, make sure that you don't get too low in alkalinity. And this is a matter of chemistry, but it's, it works that uh, if you go below a certain value of uh, alkalinity, you see that it kind of makes a turn downwards, B-star. Uh, so you, at a certain point, you only reduce total hardness, but not alkalinity anymore. And uh, you saw that softener is always pointing straight down. Uh, Dealkalizer, or the, sorry, decarbonizer uh, is diagonally. And now we have reverse osmosis. And this is not just uh, something that attacks something specifically, but it just takes out pretty much everything you have in your water. So reverse osmosis, in contrast to the other two, always points towards zero. So if you start uh, like in water two, if you start with equal values of both, this will have the same direction as the decarbonizer diagonally. But if you start, for instance, up here, then your reverse osmosis will allow you to get anywhere on this line. So it will reduce, depending on what you start with, the reverse osmosis will have a, a different impact on your water, actually. And then last up is the dealkalizer. It's something that is uh, unfortunately not yet commercially available in the coffee industry, but it exists in other industries. And this is um, an ion exchange that takes out hydrogen carbonate and changes it against chloride. And by this treatment, you just reduce your alkalinity, your acid buffer, but you don't impact the content of total hardness at all. Alternatively, what you could also do is just add a strong acid, like uh, hydrochloric acid. Of course, this treatment method is not meant to treat like a very hard water, because uh, then you would just end up with a total hardness that would be completely out of whack, too high, but the alkal alkalinity will be right. So the last, uh, last one is just, 
kind of um, useful to get um, to do the fine tuning and to be able to uh, impact total hardness and alkalinity separate from each other. And ease finally is not shown. This is a cation exchange uh, of calcium uh, against magnesium. This does not change uh, either total hardness or alkalinity at all. So uh, I, I want to get back to the uh, example I, I shortly referred to. We had a roaster that um, had an issue with, uh, he said his espresso is always, no matter what he does, his espresso is always very foamy and bubbly, even if he has a, a coffee that is not really fresh uh, anymore. Um, and he used a decarbonizer type, with the, which uh, exchanges the calcium magnesium against protons. And as I said, this, um, as a side effect, this also produces carbonic acid dissolved in water. And if you start with a very hard water, which was the case for him, then uh, your water will actually become fizzy. And if you have an inline system where you uh, don't give the water uh, the possibility for the CO2 to, uh, to escape, if your filter is hooked up to the mains and your uh, the filter then in turn is hooked up directly to the coffee machine, there's no way that your, um, your carbonic acid or your carbon dioxide can escape. So it will end up in your cup. And so we calculated that um, for a decrease of 200 ppm calcium carbonate, you'll actually get a dissolved carbon dioxide content of uh, 176 milligrams per liter. And since we also have some degassing uh, measurements we did, like to determine how much carbon dioxide is in your coffee actually, we could also relate this number to uh, how much the CO2 in your water compared to the CO2 in your beans. And for a very fresh roast, just one hour after roast, two minutes after grinding, uh, it turned out that even for such a very fresh roast, he could add another 20% of carbon dioxide to his espresso. So imagine if he had a, like a one-week-old roast, probably he, he introduced more carbon dioxide via his water than he introduced uh, by his coffee. Okay, then uh, I'll get to the summary. Uh, using equivalent units is paramount to facilitate the understanding and application uh, like for um, coffee extraction of water. And with respect to the sensory aspects, the buffer capacity should be called alkalinity. You should uh, clearly distinguish it from carbonate hardness, which is uh, more useful for te technical aspects. Then uh, most waters have an, uh, in Central Europe have an alkalinity slightly uh, lower than the total hardness. They were above the diagonal, no? And uh, moving left, in the range of high hardness at low alkalinity uh, would require the introduction of new cartridges <clears throat> from, uh, in the industry. And uh, also as a technical aspect, which is quite important, as long as you have uh, a sufficient amount of alkalinity, say 40 uh, ppm calcium carbonate or higher, your water will be sufficiently buffered so uh, you, don't, uh, you don't risk uh, corrosion of your coffee machine. Okay. That just sums up what I was saying all those years. <laughs> Do you know what? We, we were talking about this the other night, weren't we? Yeah. We agreed <laughs> like completely with that presentation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Water, I feel, should be so simple um, because 
it's water, but it's just so complicated. I mean, where do you start with the research and where do you hope that this goes to? I mean, are you, are you at where you want to be now? Uh, are there other questions that have come up from this research that you've done? Yeah, actually, I started uh, a long time ago, like 2006, with um, the insanely long water FAQ from Jim Schulman. Some of you may know it. Uh, yeah, that's a really nice uh, piece of, uh, of information. And um, uh, the thing I, I st I'm still kind of uh, researching now is that um, this effect that if you have uh, very high water to start with and then you decarbonize it, you make your water uh, contain more um, carbon dioxide and it also makes it more acidic. So this is also the effect that a lot of people say, yeah, no, I cannot go too low in, uh, in hardness and alkalinity because otherwise my pH will drop. But this is only temporary. If they would just take their water, put it somewhere for a day, and uh, then the, all, the, all the, the pH will go up like at least one or even one and a half. We, uh, we tested it even like out of the tap, most waters have like a hundredfold more uh, carbon dioxide in there than they would in, um, uh, in equilibrium with the atmosphere. See, like, so, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe that was too scientific. Uh, so, what you're advocating, I suppose, is, is, is that making your water before and then bottling it and using it afterwards, like leaking it for a day or so. Do you think that's a viable solution for a cafe to do? Yeah, I mean, I see that uh, having uh, like a permanent stash of water you have to uh, uh, leave uh, laying around for a day is probably not very uh, practicable for, for an espresso. Like, I mean, you could do so it, but I, it's... I, I spoke to a guy who worked at a water company before at a show, and he was telling me about their new system that was doing this and the other. So that's great, and this is what your recipe is going to be. I said, yeah. and I said so t t tell me, will the water coming out of that filter always be exactly that. And they say, well, it won't always be. It's like, well, because there's fluctuations in the water, mm. temperatures in the water, like how busy the shop is. Then as the filter becomes fuller and fuller as time goes by, that reading will change. Yeah. So it seems to me the only way to have an, a very definitive water recipe is to, is to get it delivered, like get a factory to make it, make it in hectoliters and yeah. just deliver it to a shop. Because us messing around like, half-baked scientists in our cafe isn't really giving us a very stable solution. Yeah, but, uh, but just taking these two droplet measurements, these titration measurements, uh, measuring your total hardness and alkalinity, this, will, this is enough for you yourself to uh, do it. And okay, yeah, it's, maybe it's, uh, it takes you like 10 minutes and I, ca I can see why you couldn't, uh, it's not very practical to do this every day. Yeah. Uh, there you could uh, actually go back to the TDS meter and use that one because if you use it for always the same water, this will correlate very nicely with both of them, with yeah. total hardness and alkalinity. Yeah, and you could so you could actually check, but you just have to make sure that you're always measuring at the same temperature. But then you could always yeah. uh, you could make a, like a simple correlation of hardness versus your uh, ppm or conductivity so measurement. The guy or girl would go into the basement. Let's say it's a girl this time. She goes into the basement and goes to the water and goes, yeah, that one's not ready yet. Oh, this one's ready, we're gonna use this water today. Yeah, we could do that, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's amazing, I think we should do that. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I'm I mean, gonna get into uh, the business of selling water tanks, I think. Seriously? I think this could be a big thing. But the, the, but the solution that's there at the moment is not a solution. I mean, you, you have to be aware that this is uh, like leaving the water staying around to uh, get rid of the excess carbon dioxide. This what is only something which is necessary for very hard water. So if you start at 300 ppm, uh, calcium carbonate upwards. Yeah. 
So most people will not be, uh, most cafes uh, don't have to do this even yeah. because they, uh, they start at a lower value anyway. Yeah, like we do it with coffee anyway. Like we open up the press and we go, that one's too fresh, that one's too fresh. Let's yeah. use this one now. Makes complete sense. Um, I think we should throw this out to the audience and hope that there's cleverer people than they're saying. I keep thinking you're actually going to throw something out <laughs> to the audience. Yeah. That comes at the sixth presentation. Do I do the whole Sally Jesse Raphael thing this time. Well, are you going to do the walking around? Wow. He doesn't move very often. This is good. Okay, way up the <laughs> he back. Likes to sit at his desk. <laughs> Thanks. You couldn't have sat out the front, could you? No. Had to make it difficult for me, didn't you? The first question is always at the back, Colin. <sighs> always. It's always close. Gave me a while to think about something to say as you walked up. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask a little bit more about what you're saying with the, um, with the carbon dioxide getting trapped in the water. Yeah. You say if you leave the water, it'll evaporate? Or Yeah, yeah, basically. For, for I mean, uh, it takes quite a long time. I mean, I tested it with uh, our water from the tap um, just recently. It started out at like pH 7.5. 7 we left it for uh, for a whole day, and it ended up at 8.6. And like the first uh, 0.6 were done by like two or three hours, and the rest took almost a day. Wow. So it's it's also like kind of the first 50% you get rid of very fast, and then the rest uh, is gonna take, yeah, maybe half a day, a day. Yeah, so as I understood you, it, when it uh, it's in a closed system from the water filter, um, like this is the kind of like best max kind of water filter, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or so from Brita, it's called yeah, Brita uh, Purity and, Quell. Um, yeah. yeah, and so on. And then it enters an espresso machine. It can't get out. And this is why you see erosions in um, in espresso machines because the carbon no, no, dioxide gets accumulated inside the machine. No, I don't think uh, carbon uh, carbonic acid or dissolved carbon dioxide will cause corrosion. This is, is not uh, aggressive enough, but uh, it will cause your espresso to be excessively bubbly. We, it will just foam more. <coughs> we saw about seven, eight years ago, we saw 10 espresso machines in Copenhagen, which has really, really uh, hard water coming in. Yeah. We saw 10 machines uh, eroding from the inside. And what erodes first is the um, brass and copper parts, but finally also stainless steel Okay. Eroded um, with this type of system. You but have a number how, how high you started? Like 30, 40? The, the total TDS is about 550, and the uh, bicarbonate is, uh, from what I remember, between 250 and 300. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I so mean, if you have a very high water like your case, then, then I, yeah, I can easily imagine that uh, like then you produce so much carbonic acid or dissolved carbo carbon dioxide that it can actually become aggressive. If you if you start at like uh, above 200 okay, ppm so calcium carbonate. So for areas that uh, have bicarbonate hardness above 200, um, what would your recommendations be? Would it solely be uh, reverse osmosis or? Yeah, as we had, as we said, uh, you could just leave your water standing, but if you need uh, pre-pressure, like if your uh, machine needs like a uh, line pressure, of course that, that would then make an accumulator, the pre-pump necessary. Alternatively, of course, you could do uh, reverse osmosis because then you don't build up uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Could have asked me that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Oh, down the front. You're making me work for it today, aren't you? Hi. 
Um, I actually have two questions, but they're both really small. First <laughs> of all, um, in the book Water for Coffee, uh, magnesium and calcium combined are called general hardness. You're talking about total hardness. When they are talking about total hardness, they accumulate potassium and everything else as well. Uh, you sure? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, I mean, I read this book also for a couple of days or weeks, but I don't think that's the case. I, I checked the screenshot. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Total hardness includes, okay, that doesn't make sense. I mean, there's, there's also a couple of uh, like official literature uh, from like that's uh, binding uh, by law in the US or in other countries and they also use total hardness so yeah total, uh, to include sodium and potassium in total hardness uh, is just something then that goes against uh, how it's defined okay. um, and my second question yeah. um, we talked about the water in Europe uh, for instance here in Antwerp we have a bicarbonate of 76 and an alkalinity of 66. Uh, no, the other way around, sorry. Um, Total hardness 76, alkalinity 66. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would be the way forward to treat our water? Because given all the ideal numbers, you can't reach it with an RO. Would we, in an ideal situation, would we leave it as it is or would you wait for the the alkalizer. The alkalizer, or adding acid yourself. Uh, I guess for espresso it shouldn't be a problem, as I said, because um, you have such a small amount of water. Uh, even if you have a slightly higher alkalinity than recommended, it won't be uh, enough to eat away your acid and making it a flat coffee. For filter, I guess it, this could be an issue. But uh, yeah, you can order online uh, uh, but of course, uh, hydrochloric acid or sulfuric acid, but of course you, you'd also need kind of uh, some basic uh, chemistry calculations for, for uh, and so, uh, and the precise scale to do it. I mean, I did it a, c a couple times now and it works fine. And uh, the, final, yeah, the final concentrations are you need for... I mean, I, I tested it, with, um, I tested it uh, with a solution that you can dilute a hundredfold. Um, to reach, yeah, I mean, in your case, you could do, even if you have like a tank, 10 liters, that's enough to uh, treat a thousand liters, this tank of 10 liters would still not be aggressive. You could, you could basically take a shower on it and uh, it wouldn't do you harm. Interesting. <laughs> Recommendations for sharing water, that's yes, great. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, our... Skin pH is 5.5 also, you have to keep that in mind. Our bodies are much more uh, adop uh, adapted to uh, taking acidity. They're not very good in uh, dealing with base, uh, basic alkaline stuff, but uh, acidity is usually not such a problem. Okay. If any of you have any questions on this information, um, feel free to email me afterwards and I'll uh, <laughs> pass the questions on. Ladies and gentlemen, Marco Wellinger. <laughs> Thank you.